Amen. Good morning, North Hills. It is good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. There you go. I'm glad some of you have been listening for the past 20 weeks. All right, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, and this morning we will just jump right in. Last week we started uh, Colossians 3, uh, verse 5, and I told you it's going to be kind of a little too, um, going to take two weeks to really finish this, uh, this one section. Uh, verse 5 through 11 is, uh, is kind of one unit, one paragraph, if you will. More than likely your, uh, your Bible has it as one unit. And so, uh, so this, this morning we will finish that unit. So let's do this. Let's read. Uh, we'll pick back up in verse 5, uh, starting in put to death, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll reread 5 through 11 and uh, continue where we left off last week. Is that good? All right. Well, Colossians chapter 3, starting again in verse 5. Paul says, uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And we end it right there. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and have seen talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for another opportunity to gather as your people, Lord, to be under your word. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for Colossians. We thank you for the truth of it. And we pray now, Lord, as we come to it, Lord, that you would feed us by your word and by your truth. And by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to that truth, and that you would keep me from error this morning, and that, um, that Christ would be exalted in our time together. And we thank you, Lord, um, for these things, and we pray these things in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, as we continue in our time in Colossians, um, <clears throat> the, the, the somewhat difficult task is that I get the, the second of these three lists we talked about last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, uh, we said that Paul has these three these three lists of five. Uh, we had that first list last week of immorality. We'll have another list this morning of five things uh, that specifically deal with speech, as we'll see. Uh, then we're going to have a couple weeks of uh, of ordination, which we're very excited about, as James talked about a moment ago. Next week is Adam's ordination, and then the deacon's ordination. And then uh, in a few weeks, uh, Evan will come back, and he gets the positive list. He gets the good list starting there in verse 12 of the things we get to put on. But I get these two lists of things that we put off, that we put to death, and that we put away from us, these negative lists. And so I don't get to really uh, to dive into what Evan gets to, to, uh, to get into, the things we put on, that we get to look to these things that Christ calls us to put on to. So I get to have to stay into the negative. And so we know the ultimate cure is Christ. And so we know that. And so uh, this morning, and just as we did last week, we never want to walk away with this weight of sin because we know that ultimately we look to Christ. But in the midst of that, we still have to look to where the text takes us. And so last week, as we looked to putting to death, 
the sexual, the sins of sexual morality and impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which was idolatry. We ultimately look to Christ and how He is the one who cures that sin. He is one that we look to. And if this is a call to believers, this is not a call to those outside the church. Paul is speaking to the church, and just as he is this morning. But uh, before we get into the three observations that we have for our text, I'd like us to finish verse 7, because 7 is this kind of transition verse that takes us from this first list of five to this next list of five. Verse 7 says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. In these you once walked. Now this is not unfamiliar language for Paul. He uses these a couple other times in uh, in Scripture, in his letters. Once he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. I'll just read these to you. We're going to turn to Ephesians in just a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And that is the great hope of the gospel, is it not? That is the power of the gospel that we talk about every single week here at North Hills. The strength and the power of the gospel. That we were those things. We were those people. But we are no longer for those who are in Christ. He says, you were these things, but you are not them anymore. This is one of the themes of this part of Colossians that he keeps on going back to. And we're going to come to it again this morning. That we're taking off the old man and we're putting on the new person. This is the whole point. This is, this is how we know he's talking to believers. That you're taking off the old person. As we'll see there in verse 10. And, as, and have put on the new self. We see this time and time again in Colossians. And so this is just a reminder of this is how these and that he is speaking to used to be. Go and make just one book or two books over to Ephesians. He uses this same language in Ephesians chapter 2. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is just so clear. In Ephesians, we know, is a, is a, has a lot of parallels to Colossians. But Ephesians 2, the first few verses there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, Paul included, once lived in the passions, like we talked about last week, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is the past state. That is the state that we used to be in our former condition. The old man, the old self. That is the status that we were. Now, we won't... We won't continue to verse 4 there. That is the, the, the two greatest words in all of Scripture, right? But God, that is the heart of the gospel. Now, I'll just say this just to be a little scandalous this morning. And Mom, you can cover your ears for a second. 
But if I were to ever get a tattoo, this is like the, the list of three things, okay? Don't worry, I don't have one, Mom. But that would be it. But God, right there, okay? I love those two words. In Ephesians 2, 4, but God is the heart of the gospel, right there. But God, who we were, but what God has done. I'm going to hear about that after church. I know it, so. But that was for you, church, okay? That's, that's how much I believe in the heart of the gospel. It is, it is so rich. That is who we were. And Paul reminds the church at Colossae, this is who you were. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And so he's, he's kind of transitioning from this first list of these five things that were attached to immorality. Now he's transitioning to this next list. He says, but now you must put them all away. And he, he brings in this next list of five things here. But it is so important. It's so important to the gospel to remember two things before moving on from this thought. That we, these two things, that one it's once of, of, of who we once were and two of who we could have become. Of who we once were and who we could have become or who we would have become rather. Without Christ, it's not just who we could have become. It's not just a possibility, but it is an inevitability. We would have become those things. We would have become those very things had it not been for Christ. For if Christ had not changed everything about us, then nothing in us has been changed. We are still the old person if Christ has not changed everything in us. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have been born again and we have died to our old self. Then we are seeking earnestly, we are seeking earnestly to put to death these things that Paul has mentioned. We're seeking to put to death this first list. We're seeking to put to death sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And we're going to seek to put away from ourselves this next list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and seen talk from our mouth. And so as he transitions, it's important to see that, uh, that, that those who are in Christ, we are seeking to put away these things. We're putting to death these things and to put away this next list. That we are the old man is going away. And there is a new man who is to be brought to life. So let's move into this, this verse 8. But now he says, you must put these away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So here's this next list of five that we've been talking about. It is similar to the first list of five that he gave us last week, but it's not exactly the same. It's not the exact same kind of makeup. It's similar, but not the same. The last list that he gave us, if you remember, it started with an act and it moved towards a motive. If you remember, it started with an act of immorality and it, it kind of progressed towards the motive uh, of that immorality. But what we're going to see this morning, it begins with the motive and it moved towards and it progresses towards the act of the sin. 
And so Paul changes this, this list. And so it acts, it functions a little bit differently. And so, like the first list of sins, this is not really a list of sins. He doesn't just list five sins to avoid. It's not just a simple list of sins. But it's more of a grouping of sins that, that lead to explain other sins. And hopefully this will make sense for us here in a little bit. But like we did last week, let's look at these five words and hopefully understand them a little bit and then, uh, and then see... See if it all makes sense for us. So he gives us five, five words here. He says, it starts off with anger. So he says, but now you must put them all away. The first thing Paul says to put away is anger. This word, uh, the Greek word is orge. So, so put away this word orge. And it means deep-seated bitterness. So a deep-seated bitterness at someone or something. So a deep-seated anger that we have at someone or something, and an anger that is kind of an anger in waiting, if you will. So not just a, a madness, you know, not just when someone cuts you off in traffic and you get angry at somebody, but, but an anger that's just kind of sitting and residing in your bones. And maybe you're, you're familiar with that kind of anger. Hopefully it doesn't just pop up and you know exactly what it means. Hopefully you don't have that uh, in your own heart right now. But maybe you've had that in the past and maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe a, a, good, a good metaphor would be a, a hot bed of coals. And that'll make sense in a, a comparison to the next word here in just a moment. But it's like a hot bed of burning coals. One that's just sitting and it's simmering. This, this word for anger that he starts off with for us. Go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 is a verse that we turn to often in our comparison to Colossians here. But Ephesians 4, 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, the same word there, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So, Again, somewhere else and in other places, Paul will say the same thing. Let this anger, let this orge, let it be put away from you. For believers that have nothing to do with you, we need to put it away. Now, we know that as believers and we know in Scripture, there is a place for righteous anger. But this is not the anger that Paul is talking about. This is an unrighteous anger. This is an anger that we have towards someone that, that sits in our bones, that, is, that, that leads to a sinful act. And so this is an anger that we are to put away from us. And maybe you know this sort of anger. You're constantly angry about something or someone. You live in that anger. It's an anger that you can't let go. It's an anger that you can't forgive. It's an anger that you can't forget. It's an anger that, that springs forth a seed of bitterness that is implanted and that is growing. This is the sort of anger that Paul is saying that believers don't need to hang on to. We are to put these seeds of bitterness, we are to put this anger away. They belong to the old man and not to the new man. And this is the first one. This is the motive. And so as we said, this motive moves, moves towards the, the act. He begins the motive. And so in the very core of it, we need to put this anger away as believers. If we are in Christ, we have to let this anger go. But you say, John, 
that bed of coals that brings me warmth at night. That is my comfort to have that anger. That is what I hang on to. And that just sounds silly, right, to say it out loud. But if you're really honest with yourself, maybe that is the comfort you hang on to, to hang on to that anger that you have at someone because you've held on to it for a long time. But as believers, that is not something we hang on to. As we'll see in this list starting in verse 12, that believers, we hang on to forgiveness because Christ has forgiven us. And Paul says that we are to put these things away, beginning with anger. But we'll continue. Not only do we put away anger, we also put away wrath. And this word for wrath is similar to anger. And oftentimes in the New, in the New Testament writings, anger and wrath are closely associated. And some would say they're, they're difficult to even to separate. But this word is uh, the Greek word uh, tumos, which is a sudden outburst of anger. It is a lashing out. Now we can kind of go back to someone cutting you off, Right? There's no bed of coals there. It is a sudden outburst of anger. It is anger's reaction. The Greeks compared it to a handful of hay that went up in flames. It just burned quickly and it was gone. That was this sort of anger here, this sort of wrath. It came, it burned, and it was quickly gone. Galatians chapter 5 verse 20 speaks of this kind of uh, anger in a brief sense. Galatians 5.20 says, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other places in Paul's writings, other places in scriptures, we can see that these These fits of anger, these bursts of wrath, they do not belong in the believer's life. They are examples of being out of control and not walking in the Spirit. They're examples of reacting and not responding in faith and responding in the Spirit. And we all know what this looks like in someone else's life. We know what it looks like in our own life, these sudden outbursts. But the truth is, they're really not all of a sudden, are they not? These outbursts are oftentimes the result of unresolved anger. That unresolved anger that creates fits of wrath, which Paul is saying to put this away. To put away this ultimate motive of anger, but also to put away this wrath that should not belong in a believer's life. This is not for those who are in the new man this anger and this wrath and he continues he says not only anger and wrath but also malice and these three as we'll see in just a moment are are kind of lumped into to a one grouping of words but anger wrath and malice kakia is the greek word it is uh sometimes a a difficult word to really put a, a, an exact definition around But in general, it is a moral evil is what it is. Moral evil. One definition is a character trait that feels the need for others to suffer. A character trait that feels the need for others to suffer. Go with me to Titus chapter 
3. Titus chapter 3. One verse there in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. Again, he's describing the old self as Paul is talking to Titus here. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Man, do you get the the weight of that? Do you get the feeling of that? As he's describing the old man, as he's describing the old self, as he's describing the one who's not in Christ, that they're, they're passing the days away, not in unity, not loving one another, not caring for one another as a church is called to do, but they're passing the days away, hated by everyone else and hating everyone else. With a mutual hatred, with this evil intent towards everyone else, with coveting everyone else. And that is a miserable way to exist. And if we're really honest with ourselves, that is how so many in our world today live. And we don't want to recognize that. But apart from Christ, that is what life looks like. And only with Christ do we really know true community. Do we really know true unity? Do we know love? Do we know true acceptance? Do we know joy? Do we know peace? So Paul says to put away anger and wrath and malice. Malice has been defined by someone as a moral deficiency that destroys fellowship. I love that definition. As a moral deficiency that destroys fellowship. And one of the the big themes here in Colossians chapter 3, in this this second part of of this section here, really is that the the big idea is is that we are called to put away sins that destroys unity in the body of Christ as we're going to see towards the end of this this passage, is that these sins, these sins of of speech here, they destroy unity in the body of Christ. This call to put away these sins of sinful speech, anger and malice and wrath. Someone has succinctly said it well. Paul's purpose is not necessarily to single out these three specific sins, anger, wrath, and malice, but to use the three words together to connote the attitude of anger and ill will towards others that so often lead to hasty and nasty speech. Which leads to these last two words. So the call of Paul here to put away sinful speech is emphasized in these last two acts. So he starts off with this motive. He starts off with this call to put away this this sinful speech. It starts with the motive of of anger and wrath and and malice that builds up to, to these next two things here. 
said, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, and malice that takes us to slander. Slander. The word is blasphemia. Whenever you use this word towards God, of course, we get the word blasphemy. And we're familiar with the word blasphemy. But when you use the word towards people, we get the, the word slander. Go with me to the book of James. James chapter 3. James 3 verse, verse 9. James gives us some, some good word, a good word here. It says, with it, talking about the tongue. And of course, we know Colossians 3 here and verses 7 through 11 is about the tongue. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. <clears throat> From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. As a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond pr- yield fresh water. So we are not to bless God with, with the same mouth that we curse man because man is created in the image of god and we are not to slander we are not to to blaspheme blaspheme is to is to curse god the slander is to curse man to man and woman his creation go with me to to matthew chapter 5 matthew 5 verse verse 21 Matthew 5, 21 says this. We'll go from 21 to 26. It says, you have, heard it, <clears throat> that you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So we see from Jesus' teachings here that it is a serious thing. It is a serious thing to, to have this issue against a brother. It's a serious thing to have a charge, it says. Against a brother. It's a serious thing to slander a brother. And so be careful. Jesus is teaching. Be careful of the charges that we have. Especially against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not let, do not let it disrupt the unity that we have in the church. Jesus issues this very serious warning. In regards to someone bringing an accusation against a brother. And then go back real quick to that same passage in Titus, just a couple of verses back. If you're not good at Bible drill yet, you need to practice up on it. Titus chapter 3. 
those first two verses. Paul says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So again, we see this attitude in, in, in the Scripture. We see this, 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 this command of how we are to treat one another. And it lines up with what Paul is, is saying here of, 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 of what he is what he's calling the Colossians to, to cast off, to cast off this anger, wrath, malice, and slander, to be careful of the charges that you're bringing against your brothers and sisters. Be careful of the words that you're using. Do not slander a brother. Be careful of the command that you bring. Be careful against a charge that you bring against a brother or a sister. And then finally, this last of the five, uh, five sins, if you will, that he brings is not just anger and wrath and malice and slander, but finally he says obscene talk is the, uh, the, the word that the ESV uses. I think a better translation is abusive speech. Not that we should have obscene talk in, uh, in, our, in our language by any stretch. But abusive speech is a, is a better translation, both from the, the, the Greek language and even an understanding of what is trying to be said here. Ephesians 5.4 speaks to, we need to, let's just turn to Ephesians real quick because it's always good to turn to Ephesians, right? Ephesians 5.4 5, 4 speaks a little more thoroughly to even the, uh, the obscene part of the language. Ephesians 5.4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And we could highlight that and we could use that and in a, in a, we should memorize that verse and for, for all believers. But in the context of Colossians chapter 3, the, as we look at this progression here, as we, talk, as we think about anger and moving towards wrath and malice and slander, what, what he's moving towards is really is, is the proper understanding of, of, the, of the, the word. It's not necessarily obscene talk, but more abusive language. The, what, he's, what he's calling the Colossians to put, to put away, to put aside, even to put to death, is to put to death and put aside abusive speech. To, to, to put aside speaking in an abusive, aggressive way towards those in your midst, towards your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Abusive language is any speech used to hurt Abusive language is any speech used to hurt. As believers, we proclaim the word of life and not death. We proclaim the word of life and not death. And sometimes we become too flippant with our words. And we forget the weight that our words have. We should desire to encourage and to bring joy to others. To lift people up from the mire as Christ has done for us and not to press them into it. Proverbs chapter 10. I didn't write this one down. Hopefully this is the right reference. So 
There it is. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10 verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. And the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. And the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The words that we that we have as believers, the words that we share with those around us, they carry weight, and we should remember that. We proclaim the word of life because the words that come from our mouth should be that of Christ. Abuse of language is any speech that's used to hurt, and we should put away any words from our mouth that could be seen as abusive or damaging or hurting or harmful. We should desire to encourage and lift up others. Just as much as the first century church needed a reminder to put away this sinful speech, so do we today. Let us desire to heed the words of the Apostle Paul as he has given this call to put away sinful speech. But not only as he has given this call to put away sinful speech, He's also given a call to put away lying. He said, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And he says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Put away lying. So why does Paul specifically address lying? You would think that'd be like a no-brainer for the church, right? You would think after these five things, these two, these two lists of these two lists of five, and he's got this third list of uh, five coming up in verse twelve. Why does he address lying? Because it is an issue of unity within the body of Christ, as we'll see in just a moment. This is the heart, really, of this section of scripture. It is an issue that is affecting unity in the body of Christ. Lying both about one another and to one another only causes division and dissension within the church, both then and now. And this ought not to be. From a very practical illustration, I can tell you this, is a, in, my, in my day job at, at 318, one of the only things that will get you fired. It's not wrecking a truck. It's not messing up a job. It's not even losing money. It's lying. And I tell folks that all the time when they get hired. So one of the only things that get you fired here is lying. And I probably shouldn't even say this. Uh, we hired a person this past Monday. They got fired Friday for lying. Last, last year, we hired a person on a Friday. They got fired on a Monday uh, for lying. And so it's a very serious thing. Um, and not just in church, not just in our personal lives, and in the business world, integrity is all we have, right? It's, it's our word. And so it is, it is so essential to everything in our life. And Paul says this here. He says, do not lie to one another. Ephesians 4.25. Going back to Ephesians. We need like a code name for Ephesians. Like go to, go left. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
So I love how he just concisely says it right there, just in a different way. Same, same truth, same command. Don't lie to one another, but he gives it a why right there. Put away falsehood. Don't lie to one another because we are members of one another. But go with me to the Old Testament real quick, Zechariah. If you don't know where Zechariah is, just go to Matthew and go back to the left a couple books. Malachi, then Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 14. wants to pick up what, what, the, what, what the Lord says to the prophet Zechariah about this issue of, of truthfulness. He says, for the, this is verse 14 of Zechariah 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purpose to bring disaster to you when your, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have purpose in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. So he makes it very clear. I have relented. I have kept my wrath from you. But here's what I want you to do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate declares the Lord. God hates deception. God loves the truth. And guess who Jesus says he is in John 14, 6. He says, I am the truth. The truth is not a, a, a matter of concept. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now go with me to John chapter 8. Because here's, if Jesus is the truth, then who is the lie? And we know who the lie is. It's Satan. But let's look at it even more clearly. In John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus just makes it so clear in case there's any doubt. In John 8, 44, he says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. So the truth is a litmus test. Those who embrace the truth do so because they embrace Christ. And those who reject the truth do so because they reject Christ. You say, well, I don't understand why my neighbor rejects the truth. They do so because they reject Christ. I don't understand why someone rejects me because I'm with Christ. They do so because they reject Christ. They reject you because they rejected Christ. And for if we are of God, we hear the truth. 
we know the truth and we speak the truth, we will walk in the truth, we will be committed to the truth. And whenever we struggle with the truth, we will turn back to the truth. We will repent and look to the truth because the truth is Christ. And we will put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and we will put away anything that is a lie. We will put away sinful speech. and We will put away lying. And then lastly, the last observation from this text is we will put on the new self. We will put on the new self. It says, do not lie to one another. And this is kind of the transition into starting in verse 12. So we'll just kind of dabble in it for a moment. So do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He starts this in the beginning of chapter 3. And he continues it up to this point. He can you know, pick it back up in uh, verse 12. And this theme runs all through chapter 3 here. The whole emphasis of all of this is that we are new creations. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is that, uh, just go there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Another one of my favorite passages. In all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <clears throat> the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And this is what Paul has been saying the whole time. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so this... This picture he's given us is this picture of, of new garments. The old garments are off. The new garments are on. And we're putting these new garments on. And we're, we're walking in these new garments. We're walking in Christ. And we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're putting on this new self. We are new creations. And he says there in verse 11. And to me this kind of brings the the theme of this of this section together he says here there is not greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian or scythian slave or free but christ is all and in all there is unity in the church he said it's all in christ either you are in christ or you're not and if you're in christ it's we're all together. We're all in this. And if, you're, and if we're in Christ, we are in the same battle. We're in the same war. We are all called to put to death sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. If we're in Christ, we're all called to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. If you're in Christ, we're all called to put away lying to one another. If you're in Christ, we're all called to put away the old man and walk in the newness of Christ. If you're in Christ, we're all called to live in unity together, even whenever at times it is difficult to do because we're still humans. But we are in Christ. And so let us walk together in Christ.
So church, this is why we value gathering together around the Word and in homes and being together as often as we are. This is why community is so important. We need Christ and we need each other. May it be our aim to walk closer to Christ. May it be our aim to put to death anything that hinders our walk with the Lord. And also may it be our aim to walk closer to one another and to put away anything that hinders our relationship with those in the church. May Christ be glorified in the gathering of North Hills. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a chance to be in your word and to look at this text this morning, to be reminded, Lord, of these things that we are called to put away, these things we're called to put to death. And Lord, the the strength and the power that you've given us through the Holy Spirit, that we're not called to do this alone. You've given us your spirit and you've given us your church. You've given us your word. So Lord, this morning, help us to, to respond in faith to your word, to your power. Thank you, Lord, for this communion table that we come to. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to give to the ministry and mission of your church. And even as we leave this place, Lord, may we do so with joy. May we do so with a renewed zeal this morning to put these things away in our life and to live for your glory. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.